If you'd please start in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2. Periodically over the last year and a half, we've been studying discipleship, what it means to be a disciple. And this morning I want to give you a definition based on all that we've studied of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. I know you're supposed to do this stuff at the end. We're doing it at the beginning. Here's what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. A disciple is somebody who's fully committed to following Jesus and obeying everything he has commanded him to do. And I remind you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you are called a disciple. And this is what's expected of each of us who are disciples. Why does he make us disciples? Because he wants us to make disciples. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what we're supposed to be doing in life. So last week we looked at these verses and reminded ourselves this is a job description that Christ has given us, that he expects us to follow as his disciples. He says, first, go therefore. Some of you know the Greek word is just the idea as you're going. He's assuming that we're committed to him and we are just going to go ahead and do the things he told us to do. And in the process of doing what he told us to do, following the way he told us to follow, we're supposed to be making disciples. I reminded you last week, we call this the Great Commission, and we think sometimes it's only about evangelism. It's about more than evangelism. Evangelism is the starting point. Evangelism is the important point to get people to come to Christ. But he doesn't tell us just make believers. He tells us to make disciples. And this is one Greek word that has to do with attachment because that's what disciples did in Jesus' day. They attached themselves to their teacher and became his follower both in conduct and doctrine. And Jesus said to us, you help people become more attached to Jesus in their conduct and doctrine also help them identify themselves publicly with Christ to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I've told some of you before, some of you have accepted Christ, but you've never been baptized. You've never believed that command, obeyed that command. How do you tell somebody else to do it if you won't do it? If you won't take that step to publicly identify, how do you tell somebody else to do that? You can't. And it's part of our command, part of our commission to do that. And not just that, we're to teach them to observe or obey everything, all that he commanded us. Again, I remind you, it's more than just giving the gospel and moving on. We're responsible to have them hold to everything Christ commanded. You're here in Acts chapter 2. What did the early church do? It says in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they accept the gospel, they're baptized, 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What did they do? Got baptized, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That look familiar here? Devoted themselves to the fellowship. Notice in verse 44, they're together. They have all things in common. 46, they're attending the temple together, large group, and breaking bread in their homes, small groups. And as a result of this, what's happening? The Lord's adding more getting saved. The result of their being discipled is more are being added to the church. This is how it's supposed to work. Remind you this, the direction of discipling is not inward. That the direction of our Christian life is not supposed to be inward. It doesn't mean we don't learn some things inwardly, but that's not the direction of our lives. It's supposed to be outward. I'll also remind you something about discipling. This is what discipling is not. It's not just attending a a class. It's not just getting involved in a program. It's not a quick fix. Take two pills of discipling and call me in the morning and you'll be fine. Nope. It's not a duty to be fulfilled. It's not just attending another Bible study. It's not just for super spiritual Christians. It's for all of us. And it doesn't mean some of these things are not good things. You understand that? The direction of discipling is outward. Here's what we're supposed to be doing with each other. Helping other believers make biblical change towards spiritual growth. That's a definition of what discipling is. That we're supposed to help other believers make biblical change towards spiritual growth. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, Him we proclaim. That was just sung to you, Jesus. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Discipling is outward toward others. And here's a question you need to ask yourself this morning. I'll ask it more than once. First question, who are you discipling? Who are you helping make biblical change towards spiritual growth? And secondly, who's discipling you? Who's helping you make biblical change towards spiritual growth? Because we were all just told to make disciples which puts us on both sides of the fence. And because the direction of discipleship is outward, we're back to what I told you last week. We have to determine, how am I going to live out what I am? If I am a disciple, how will I live it out? Will I live it out like most believers do? I live in a focused life on myself. I live a life that's inward for me. Notice it says unfocused and unintentional. That's how most Christians live their lives. They're not focused on anybody else but themselves. And if they give an example, it was unintentional. They didn't mean to. 
That's why Paul told the church at Philippi, I have nobody like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. They're all inwardly focused, not outwardly focused. And that's where most Christians are, to tell you the truth. I hope you at least shoot for the second one here. That even if you're not focused on any person or persons, you will intentionally live your lives as an example to believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It's not just about us. It's not I can live my life the way I am and I don't affect anybody else. That's not true as a believer. We're going to talk about that more later today. But here's the goal of making disciples, that I live a life that's both focused and intentional. Focused on certain persons or per, one person or persons and intentionally living in a way to make a difference in that person's life so they grow spiritually. We read this verse last week in 1 Thessalonians 1. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. It was focused on them. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. We are to be focused outward, not inward. We want to talk about that more this morning. How do we do this? How do we determine... If we determine we're going to do this, that we're going to obey Christ's command to make disciples, how do we determine who to disciple? And I remind you, first of all, it is based on relationship. Did you notice that here in Acts 2, that there's a relationship going on? They're devoted to fellowship. They're breaking bread together. They're praying together. They they believe we're together, verse 44. They have all things in common. They're attending the temple together. You understand there's relationship going on here. You can't disciple outside of relationship. You can teach outside of relationship, but you can't disciple. And so last week we talked about the easiest relationship we can think of in this. It's parents and kids, right? Somebody goes, boy, he's harping on that. You betcha I'm harping on that. I see fewer and fewer parents discipling their kids, and we're commanded to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that's more than just taking them to church once a week. We're supposed to be helping our kids grow biblically towards spiritual growth. That's our job as parents, that God gave it to us. That's why he gave us these kids. But this parent-child relationship is more than just actual parent and children. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4, I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Was Timothy Paul's kid? No, but he's somebody that Paul's going to take on the disciple in somewhat of a parent-child relationship. You understand this doesn't have to be a flesh-and-blood relationship. Now, if you have kids, they are supposed to be, but this also can be similar to this relationship, but not with your own kids. We talked last week. Titus chapter 2 says older men are supposed to be discipling younger men and younger, older women in the church are supposed to be discipling younger women in the church. That's how it's supposed to be taking place. In a lot of cases it's not taking place that way, but that's the goal. That's what's supposed to happen. You say, well, what's one, some ways I can get involved in this parent-child relationship without my kids? Well, get involved in children's ministries. You want to disciple kids? We'll find you places to disciple kids. 
we're always looking for workers because nobody wants to commit themselves to discipling the kids and helping our parents here. We're looking for teachers. And some of you say, well, I'm willing to help as a teacher, but I'm not a member. Here, you have to be a member to be a teacher. It's time to get in the new members class in September and get prepared to teach. Ladies, we have a side-by-side ministry where older ladies are paired up with younger ladies. They should be packed out with ladies wanting to get involved in this, both the older ladies and the younger ladies wanting to disciple in that capacity. Some churches have older married couples or couples who have been married a while who disciple younger married couples. We don't do that here. But you know what? If you're interested in that, you contact me. I'll make it happen. If you want to be an older couple who's willing to disciple a younger couple, you tell me. If you're younger couples and you want to get some experience from an older couple, you tell me and I will put it together. Because it's important that the older disciple the younger. That's why John could say this. They weren't his kids, but he said, I have no greater joy than here. My children are walking in truth. He's talking about those he was discipling himself. So who can you disciple? Your kids or somebody who can be like your kids? Secondly, find people who have some of the same preferences, some of the same activities and place in life that you're at. Go to Acts chapter 15. We talked about Paul and Timothy. How did they get together? Acts chapter 15, 36 Paul and Barnabas had gone on the first missionary journey, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So chapter 16, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. How'd they get together? They both had interest evidently in ministry. Paul's on a missionary journey. Timothy evidently is also interested in ministry. And Paul says, let's take him with us. You find people in the same place, area in life. You have friendships that you have based on common interests. That you can find people here in our body that you can join together with. This might be one-on-one. It might be one person. It's really better with a small group of three to five. Jesus had an inner group of three. Paul usually had two, three, or four guys that's with him all the time that he took with him. Understanding the importance of a small group together, discipling one another. Remember we we studied last week that the New Testament tells maturing disciples should be discipling other maturing disciples. Disciples who are interested in moving forward spiritually should be discipling with other believers who are interested in moving forward spiritually. We do it together. We got any places you can do this? Sure. Men Man Up does that Saturday mornings. They get together and try to disciple each other. Disciple together. Move forward. You say, Bible Training Center, discipleship? You'd be surprised. It's more than just Bible knowledge. In two and a half years, you do a lot of discipling together. Women's circles are starting up. Groups like God's Giles, Time for Moms, 
mother-wise. You want to get involved in those who have same interests and get in a discipling relationship? There's plenty of them set up. But you say, wait a minute, I don't like any of those. Good, start your own. Find two or three others at the same place you are with the same interest that you'll get together to study the Bible, not just to get together and chat but with the intention of helping each other grow spiritually. Study the Bible you know. Pray together. Memorize Scripture together. Strive to grow together. And again, you're going to say, well, I don't know who to ask. Fine. You give me your name. As more names I get, I will put you together in groups. I warned you last week, I have an agenda. You think I won't help you do this because this is so important in Scripture? Yes, I will help you do this. I'll find others to help me do this and put this together. But my guess, you can find two or three or others that say, let's do this regularly. Because Christ commands us to do it. Who else do we look for? We look for people with potential to grow spiritually. We talked last week, new believers need to be discipled by believers who've got a little more background to help them. They need to know what Scripture is, need to know what Christ's commandments are. And if you want to learn how to do this, contact me. You want to be a new believer discipled by somebody else? We'll put you together with somebody. We'll tell you what you have to do. You're looking to connect with somebody who's shown interest in spiritual growth, both in discipling somebody and finding somebody to disciple you. By the way, even though Paul's the one who asked Timothy, evidently, you can ask somebody to disciple you. You understand that? But you're looking for somebody else who has an interest in spiritual growth the way you do. Look at here with Timothy. Timothy already had demonstrated something. Verse 1, he's a disciple already. A disciple named Timothy is called that. Verse 2, he's well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. He was somebody who already showed some potential for wanting to move forward. I will remind you of this. You cannot disciple unbelievers. You can have a Bible study with them. You can share the gospel with them, but you can't disciple them. You also can't disciple with other believers who aren't going to commit to it. It won't work. You have to all be committed, whatever group you're in, to doing this. And what you're all committed to is this, that we want to do what Scripture tells us to do. We want to be taught. We want to be reproved. We want to be corrected. We want to be trained in righteousness so that we're complete, equipped for every good work. That's what you're looking for if you get involved in a group or you get involved with somebody discipling, somebody who fits this pattern. That's what they want in their life. You're looking for fat people. What? I didn't make it up. Somebody else made this up. Fat people. People who are faithful, available, teachable. That's what you're looking for. Involved in discipleship. As part of this reminder we talked about last week, we see this all the way through Scripture. This is where if you're involved in ministry, you should be discipling, mentoring somebody else to take your place. Now, they may not take your place, but just in case God takes you somewhere else, God takes you to heaven, that somebody already is in place to take over for you. Or maybe they'll go ahead and take your ministry and you'll get involved in something else and start something up there. 
But you notice in Scripture, you always have somebody discipling somebody to take over for them. It's the same thing. You're looking for somebody for the potential. Look here at the, in Mark 15, or in Acts 15, sorry. Verse 37, remember this account? Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who was withdrawn from them in Pamphylia had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Here you have Barnabas seeing potential in Mark that Paul doesn't see. Who ends up being right? Barnabas. Because later on in life, Paul says to Luke, bring John Mark with you. He's profitable for ministry. What if Barnabas had never taken him and discipled him? You have to determine who you're going to disciple, and you've got a few categories for that. What's involved in discipling? Procedures? How do we do this? And by the way, I'll remind you again, in September, the Sunday night electives that we'll have on Sunday nights, four weeks, we'll have to do, many of them, with how to disciple. Practical advice, how to disciple in some of these areas. But first, how do we do this? It will take involvement. Look in Acts 16 again. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them for observance. The decisions had been reached. Paul involved Timothy in his ministry. There was a ministry relationship that went on here. And by the way, did you notice Paul got Timothy ready for ministry? He didn't just surprise him. He got him circumcised because he understood the necessity of that to minister to the Jews. But discipling is something that takes connection. It takes relationship. It takes time. It takes effort. If you can be involved in some ministry together, that's even better. Not always necessary, but a good thing. When my son was young, and at home, we used to have different cults come to the door all the time. And I'd be more than happy to talk to him at the door. And my son would sit behind me on the stairs listening. And so afterwards, I could talk to him. What would you think about what they said? What would you think about this answer? What would you think about... It was a great way to involve him in ministry without putting him into it, not ready for it. Discipling takes involvement in the life of somebody else. Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do we do that? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This takes involvement. This takes meeting together. And it takes it all the more. It's not how few times you can meet, it's how many times you can meet and be involved together. Secondly, it takes instruction. There is instruction that takes place in discipling. We saw that in the Matthew 28 passage. We're supposed to teach them to obey everything that he commanded us. 
Romans 15, 14, Paul says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Does every discipleship group have to have a trained teacher? The answer is no. Some groups, yes. Bible Training Center, you've got to have a trained teacher in there. But most groups, no. We are able to instruct one another with the help of the Holy Spirit. Do we have to do some studying on our own? Yeah, there's some of that. But you realize that sometimes you don't need a formal trained teacher. Man up on Saturday morning, there's no formal trained teacher in there. They just get together and discuss what they heard on Sunday morning. How do we put that in practice? So no, you don't always need a trained teacher, but I'm going to remind you of this. It's not just teaching. If it was just teaching, we could just put you all in a class like this and you'd be discipled. It's more than teaching. It's instruction plus in this discipling relationship. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4. You can have 10,000 instructors or teachers in Christ, but you can't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Is there teaching involved? Yes, but it's more than that. It's similar to that father relationship where there's a whole lot more involvement. i got plenty of te- people who will be willing to teach people but not willing to get involved with them. I'll teach them, but I don't want to get involved in, any of their, in their problems. Well, unfortunately, in discipleship, that doesn't work. Look over in 2 Timothy 3. Turn to your right a few books. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Notice with Paul and Timothy how this was much more than just teaching, just instruction of Paul to Timothy. This is what he's writing to Timothy in verse 10. You, however, talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching. But it doesn't stop there, does it? You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. Is there instruction involved when you're discipling somebody or when they're discipling you? Yeah, but there's a whole lot more than that. They get to see the real you. This is a personal thing. This is the relationship part. You have to be willing to do more than just teach them. And this is where illustration comes in. If I ask you the main way the apostle taught, most of you may not know. You know the main way apostle, the apostle Paul taught? Be imitators of me. Well, he's the only one who did that, right? Jesus never asked us to do that, did he? To follow his example, to pay attention to what he did? You know that in John 13. We studied washing the disciples' feet. I've given you an example that you should also do just as I did for you. He did the whole thing as an example for them to follow. In this relationship, we actually tell people to spiritually do exactly what we do. This is the intentional part of our living. Paul said this to the church of Philippi, whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 
So here's the question you have to ask yourself. If somebody lived their spiritual life like I do, were as interested in spiritual things that I am, were studying biblical truth, made their decisions, showed an attitude like I did, would they be okay spiritually? Would we describe them as somebody who is a committed follower of Jesus Christ, or would we have to describe them as somebody who's drifting, somebody who's stagnant? If your kids live out their spiritual life the way you do, how will we describe them? Because you want to know something? They're going to. Whether you want them to or not. And this is why our life intentionally lived in a way that makes a difference and shows an example is so important. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Go to your left a couple of books, a couple of pages. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we didn't have the right but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. Interesting again, isn't it? We intentionally lived in a way that you could pay attention. Question, was Paul perfect? Oh, of course. The Apostle Paul was the perfect Christian, right? I love Corinthians. He's got sarcastic bones all through his body. I can relate to that. But he admits in Romans... I'm like everybody else. The things I should do, I don't do. The things I don't do, I should do. So what's he saying? I should be perfect to do this? No, he's saying, if you just follow me, for the most part, and you see what I'm doing, you'll be okay. If you follow Christ the way I do, we'll talk about that more in a second, you'll be okay. Not perfect. But imitate my illustration to you. Some of you are sitting there saying, well, then I can never disciple What am I supposed to do? My exampleship is lousy. Look at 1 Timothy 4. It was read for you earlier. Then what do you need to do? You need to get discipled. You need to get with other believers who can give you an example to follow and help teach you and become, verse 12, start working at being an example in speech, in conduct, in faith, in purity. Work at the reading of Scripture. Verse 14, don't neglect your spiritual gift. Start using in the church. Verse 15, start practicing these things, immersing yourself in them. Verse 16, persist in this. You need to start working at being faithful, available, and teachable and have somebody help you do that so then you can disciple others because that's what you're commanded to do. Not just say, eh, it's the way I am, tough luck. No. Got to be an illustration. Fourthly, and this is probably the hardest part of discipleship, When you disciple somebody else, you have to be willing to intervene in their lives. Paul says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, to warn you. A big part of discipleship is warning other believers when we see them falling into sin, when we see attitudes wrong, when we see them going the wrong direction, and to say, you're going the wrong direction, you've got to come back the other way. This is why a lot of discipleship groups become accountability groups also, where they hold each other accountable. 
for how they've been acting. But this is something as believers we don't want to do. We think, "Ah, not my problem. I don't want to get involved in their life. This is their problem. I shouldn't intrude. Yes, you should. The reason we have so much chaos going in the Christian church where believers are doing everything they want because nobody's speaking up and saying you shouldn't be doing that. Paul said for three years, the church at Ephesus, I didn't cease night and day to admonish you with tears. This is no fun to do. This is not a fun thing to tell people. Galatians 6, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual. By the way, that's all of us as believers. We have the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us spiritual. You who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If you get involved in discipling, you have to be willing to warn them. Because that's the main thing discipling is used for. How do we do this? Involvement, instruction, plus illustration, intervene. Question, who are you discipling this way? Or who you got discipling you this way? Because evidently this is what we need or Jesus wouldn't have told us to do it. If we're involved in discipling, what are we looking for? What's the results we're looking for? What's the product? Well, we're trying to help somebody be more faithful. And you could add available and teach you about that. We're trying to make them fat. You want to put that in there? Go ahead. In 1 Corinthians 4, he calls Timothy his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. That's what he hoped for. Look at chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. He's talking about ungodliness and not being content, love of money. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why was Paul discipling Timothy? And it's interesting here, he then calls him a man of God. This, this guy's making progress. One of the things you pursue, Timothy, is faith. You fight the good fight of the faith. You keep what Christ told you to do. You keep doing it until the end, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You do it to the end. That's what we want. We're trying to help each other be more faithful. Secondly, we want a facsimile. Paul told the first Corinthians church, the Corinthians church, that Timothy will remind you of my ways in Christ. When you hear Timothy saying, you're somewhat hearing me. So we're looking at clones of us, right? I want 500 clones of Kevin Brock out here. Would that be a good thing? Don't say amen. <laughs> no, it's not what he's saying. Because I didn't give you the rest of 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We want these to become clones of the way we pursue Christ. Of our pursuit of Christ. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for little illustrations of us. That won't work. 
but that they pursue Christ the way we do. They stand for truth the way we do. They can share what Christ wants you to do the way that we do. That's what we're looking for. Philippians 3, he said, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, he said, there are others who are imitating me that you can also follow for an example. It's not just him. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 14, or verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's why this passage in Philippians 2 where he says, I couldn't find anybody else genuinely concerned for you but Timothy. What he really saying was, I couldn't find anybody genuinely concerned for you the way I'm concerned for you. The only one who followed my example was my disciple. The one I was discipling was his Timothy. He showed the same care for you that I showed. That's what he picked up from me. We're looking for individuals that are more faithful, that will imitate our pursuit of Christ, and that will send this forward. 2 Timothy 2.2 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You realize the goal of this is to send it forward. We disciple others who disciple others who disciple others. Who di- That's the whole goal here. By the way, some of you are in discipleship groups. You've been in that group for years, and you've never expanded. Bad idea. You should be bringing new people in to disciple, or you should be sending your group out to disciple others. Because that's the goal. To disciple this one, who will disciple this one, who will disciple this one. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Are we all supposed to be involved in this? Ephesians 4, he tells what the child of the church is set up. Ephesians 4, verse 12, verse 11. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Even though there's a comma there, there shouldn't be one until we all attain the unity of of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Is each joint and each part supposed to be doing this? The answer is yes. And when you don't, the body suffers. When you do, the body becomes more attached to the head, which is Christ. And that's our goal to make disciples to attach each other's more and more in doctrine and practice to the head, which is Christ. And nobody's left out. So what's your question this morning? Who are you discipling? 
Who's discipling you? How are you doing in obeying the command from our master to make disciples? Let's pray. Father, we're glad you saved us. We're glad you're, we're your disciples and you're our Lord. But sometimes we forget what goes along with that, that you have expectations of us. And each of us this morning, if we're listening to your Holy Spirit, are being challenged to do something in the area of discipleship. Don't let us just put it off. Help us to start making commitments now to make those changes necessary to obey you. To make disciples of all nations. And we pray this in your name. Amen.